Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another sunny day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Andrew Hunt, owner of Holiday Architects, a UK-based tour operator who specializes in tailor-made holidays. Andrew, hello. Hi there. Well, I'm appreciative of you joining us on the program today. Now, normally we go directly into the subject of leadership, but due to the ongoing COVID outbreak, uh, we should start there. Um, Now, we are starting to see a a gradual reopening of business and uh, activity within the country and around the world. How has this past period affected your business? Uh, to be honest, it's, it's been horrendous. It's been catastrophic, I would say. Um, you know, we sell long-haul holidays and long-haul travel effectively stopped in mid-March. We are seeing some reopening, but um, I think it'll be a very long time until sort of long-haul flights return to anything like normality. So, you know, we're looking at, uh, well, we've had zero income since the crisis started. We'll have minimal income for another few months. And then for another year after that, I think you're going to see income levels massively suppressed and really unpredictable. So, you know, we've lost now a third of our workforce and and I'd say most of my competitors in in this space, you know, 25 to 50 percent of their workforce are going to be going. So, yeah, it's been pretty brutal. Now, when it comes to uh, the way in which we're exiting uh, this situation, um, do you have any uh, pl- uh, any kind of projections as to what your industry will look like in the coming weeks and months? I think it's going to be very sort of stop-starty. And I think I know that probably across most sectors and stuff, you know, you've got um, where you're going to have local lockdowns, regional lockdowns, national lockdowns in response to flare-ups. Um, for us specifically, you know, we people who plan our holidays usually plan them a long way out. You know, they're, they're major events, they're big ticket events. And um, the one thing that you want for that is some stability and certainty. You don't want to be, you know, spending £10,000 on a holiday if you're not pretty confident it's going to go ahead. So uh, for us, as, as we emerge from this, until we have some sort of stabilisation of international flight networks and, you know, reciprocal travel arrangements, it's going to be really tough until that point. Now, of course, uh, we're here to uh, discuss the concept of leadership. Uh, We should move on to that subject. I always like to start this part of the conversation off by asking the same simple question. What does the word leader mean to you? Um, I saw a researcher do a talk once called Marcus Buckingham, and he hit the nail on the head for me. He said, really simply, a leader is someone who has at least one follower. And so you sort of switch the, 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 the focus on to why people would follow a leader and yeah, his his feeling is that a leader gives you confidence about the future. Now, the future is, by definition, uncertain, but the leader is someone whose followers believe is they're, they're well-placed to navigate that uncertainty. So, yeah, to me, um, you know, leadership is about making sure I'm best placed to help the company thrive uh, and survive in the future, and then to ensure that everyone else in the business feels the same and, and can look to the future with confidence. And how would you describe your personal leadership style? Uh, a slightly weird mix of uh, quite autocratic and quite hands-off. Um, 
I've got a really strong sense of a small number of basic principles that I think will bring the business success. And they're almost non-negotiable and, and I'm the owner of those principles within the business. But beyond that, I try to sort of delegate out and empower people to interpret and implement those principles as sort of tactics and day-to-day decisions. So I'll let them get on with it. I'll support them and mentor them as they do it, but pretty light touch and letting them shape things as, as they see fit. Um, you know, that's what I'm aiming for, but I'm not quite there yet. It's a work in progress. And where would you say that you came to this style? Did you have any particular role models who shaped the way that you view leadership or was this more situational based? A bit of both. I had a couple of role models, most notably my first boss, and uh, what they all did, all the good ones did, was made me feel like an equal. So whenever I've been treated like an equal, I've responded by working really hard and not resenting it and thoroughly enjoying what I was doing, and that's what I'm trying to emulate. But there's a situational element as well in that when I started out in leadership, I was quite dictatorial, sort of command and control. Um, and that ended really badly. So I've just learned a very hard lesson uh, mm. by doing that. Um, and so my guiding principles are to, to now to treat people like adults and, and try and treat them as I would have wanted to be treated on my way up. Now, let's talk a bit about the unpleasant side of leadership. When it comes to um, resolving conflict, do you have any sort of methodology? Yeah, one thing that I think is really relevant and, and, and people need to remember and as we sort of start to rush headlong into a post-COVID world where the office you know, got rid of is that actually one of the very best things is just getting people in a room together. Um, I think in terms of empathy, understanding a colleague, nothing beats being able to sit across the table from them and you know, certainly not Zoom, for example. So in my experience, if two people who are in conflict can at least sit down together and talk things through, potentially with a sort of mediator there as well, you can resolve most conflicts because each person sort of starts to appreciate the other position and point of view, and then you get the concessions that are necessary to move on from the conflict. Now, you've uh, mentioned there uh, the concept of the office. Um, Let's touch on that for a second in this post-COVID world. Um, Do you feel that you are going to use the same amount of office space you used in the past, or has that ship sailed for good? Interesting. I mean, we've we've adopted, always had a fairly flexible working policy in as much as we've always allowed people to work from home one day a week and we've, we've sort of operated no set hours. So it's always been slightly fluid. Um, we're talking about that now. I can conceive of, a, of a, a model where perhaps we end up with perhaps two thirds of the desks we would need if everyone was in and rotate it round. So rather than having people work from home one day a week, it could go out to a couple of days a week or three days a week. But I'm one thing I've seen throughout my career, what I believe really strongly is that successful businesses are built on really great culture and really great culture is so much easier to build if you're all in the same place, at least for a significant chunk of time. I think there are businesses out there that have built great cultures remotely. Um, when I look at that and when I try and work out how to do it, it feels extremely challenging. So I'm, I'm sort of not wedded to the office, but I still think it's got a really important role to play. Now, of course, uh, leadership comes in many different guises, and there are many people to take inspiration from. But if you were to speak to a young person today and you were to suggest, let's say, two or three figures uh, from business uh, that they should try and emulate, who would they be? I don't know about emulating because I've not had kind of enough experience of it. Um, but um, 
there are people I'd suggest they read, um, like Marcus Buckingham being one of them. They're sort of people who challenge a standard set way of doing things. I quite like that. Um, but yeah, my experience, you know, I've, I've had I've had a number of bosses and I've had some very good ones. And I think they, the, the experience I take from my personal bosses is much greater than, you know, whatever I read about Richard Branson in a, in a leadership column. So I don't, I don't personally have um, role models, you know, sort of well-known role models. Uh, my role models have all been people I've worked for or had direct experience of. Well, unfortunately, our time together has drawn to a close, Andrew. But before I let you go, what does next 12 months have in store for Holiday Architects? Uh, it's going to be tough. It's going to be pretty uncertain because I think I've said before, you know, we don't know when air routes are going to open up again. We don't know how they're going to be impacted by local flare-ups and lockdowns. We don't know what the travel insurance market is going to look like because it completely, completely ceased to function during the crisis. We don't know about legislative changes and so on. So a lot of uncertainty. By next summer, I hope and believe there will be a pretty stable range of long-haul flights available covering most, if not all, of our portfolio. And so we can have a you know, reasonably decent, predictable income. But between here and there, uh, all I can say is I think it's going to be rocky and uh, sort of full of temporary setbacks. But, uh, but hopefully we get there in the end. Well, I do wish you and the entire team at Holiday Architects the best of luck in the coming weeks and months. And I do hope we have a chance to speak again when things have gone back to semi-normal. But for now, Andrew, thank you. Thank you very much. That was Andrew Hunt, owner of Holiday Architects. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final. Sir Jeff Hurst, uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me, realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, <laughs> I guess, had one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over the years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach 
he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you just think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. And of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that caliber can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with with a manager like like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players and of course they become your friends who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself was it more was it Peters I think probably well I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did again mm. again extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player and some, as far as Martin's concerned I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, w- would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business football team in any walk of life to be successful and it's quite evident I was in the motor trade for a long time as well selling car warranties to car dealerships and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in many of the car dealerships you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all and so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to, to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, or at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people 
and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn song, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could... Uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing, and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. so mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I. At that stage, I looked like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think Mm. I was just happy to be I'd be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back out, mm. so I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. People talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out. The squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were a very 
I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, "Oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch." So that—I've uh, been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round." You know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely, but I can use that now, but it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then, but we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want, you want, you've got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a. a at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm-hmm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but I, then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did... Uh, um, but then again, if you, put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, Stoke. 
and of course into uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think. Some of the outstanding. I think the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely. Mm. You've got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, the, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that, struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think 
that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody, and I've going back from an earlier earlier question for me, the um, all hard-nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. And there was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single mind and uh, dedication dedication to the job um, thinking about that 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 role that job in leadership all the time it's a huge part of your life but it, you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level you may you know have a, wait, have a couple of weeks holiday but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, they will not switch off for for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's you completely focus. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go with the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries.
members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.